Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Odyssey Podcast, where me and my brother trek through cinema on a quest to find the best film ever made. This season, we begin our journey by counting down the AFI Top 100 Films of All Time. So come and join us as we talk about Platoon. So, Randy, we finally got to a war movie. Is this our first? I'm pretty sure this is our first war movie. Mm-hmm. At least our well, first direct. Real, direct war movie. Yeah, because I guess Yankee Doodle Dandy vaguely counts. Vaguely, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So our first war movie, and this is a pretty banging war movie. You think so? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was pretty good, but I, I'm not sure if it's like I'm raving about it or anything. Really? Yeah, it just seems like uh, I, I don't know. I don't really know. You don't really know. I, I, don't, I don't know how how I feel about this movie yet. I'm kind of kind of mulling it over still, you know. Okay. Okay. Well. I'll, I'll spoil the plot for everybody who's interested. Yes. The film follows the new army recruit, Private Chris Taylor, as he navigates his way through the Vietnam War. He's led on two sides by Sergeant Barnes, who's this scarred, grizzled, fucking hard-ass war vet. And on the other side is Sergeant Elias, played by Wilma Dafoe, who's a lot more, I want to say, honorable or just kinder. Yeah. But it's really hard to say kind when he's, you know, in the in the face of war. And he is also shown not to be one to fuck with. Sure, but it's mostly just that, you know, he he kind of takes a more honorable, like, path. Like, you know, this is war, but we can still be, like, people, right? Yeah. Like, you know, don't, don't treat the, like, um, villagers who are, like, caught in between us, you know, as, like, objects. They're people, too. Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, things like that. Whereas Barnes is is completely off the deep end. Completely he, off the deep end. He is pure, like, these people are are the enemy, and I am here for survival. That is it. Destruction, yes. and that is it. And I feel that's kind of the whole point of the movie, is that, like, duality between yes. Barnes and Elias and Taylor, who's kind of stuck in between. Which, also, first Charlie Sheen movie on this list. Probably the only one. Yeah, we're gonna be the only one. Yeah, also, it... There's a lot of people in this fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, there's a lot of people I recognize in this movie. I was like, hold up, that, isn't that, hold, hold up, isn't that? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, to go through the list for everybody who, who may not know, because I feel this is a movie that people tend to gloss over in their watch list. It has Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe, Keith David, Forrest Whitaker, fucking John C. McGinley. If you don't know who that is, that's Dr. Cox from fucking Scrubs. Yes. And then you've got Johnny fucking Depp in this movie. We have a Johnny Depp. He's like a background character. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. also Tony Todd, Candyman himself. Dude, this movie is just packed to the fucking gills with people who were just about to become the most famous people on the planet. I'm sure we've probably glossed over more actors who it's just we don't we don't recognize. But like if we clicked on their IMDb, it'd be a it'd list be like, longer than my fucking arm. Yeah, it'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah. Just thinking about, because this comes out in 1986, mm-hmm. I think this is just after Nightmare on Elm Street came out, so I think Johnny Depp is still basically just known for Nightmare on Elm Street and like 21 Jump Street. Charlie Sheen, I think he had a cameo in um, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off like the year or two before, and I don't know any other thing he was in in the early 80s. Oh gosh, I have no idea. Yeah, he gets famous way later. Honestly, most of these... Willem Dafoe, I can't think of a single film off the top of my head he did before this. Like, I just can't. Which I know is bad movie nerd logic, but... You gotta think, this is like a crazy amalgamation of fantastic actors. Yeah? Yeah, it really is. It's crazy how they got so many people on here who... 
you know, seem like just amazing actors like Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe. I mean, just those two already, like, uh, well, Willem Dafoe, he's actually really, really good. And Charlie Sheen, I mean, you know, he was he was an upcomer at the time. And, all, and he's and, become kind of a meme. Yeah, right? kind of a meme, you know, all the tiger blood and whatnot and Two and a Half Men. <laughs> I but made that joke as soon as he movie. came on the screen. I'm like, are we going to see Charlie Sheen drink tiger blood to fight the Viet Cong? No. Uh, and then also, we have the actor playing Sergeant Barnes, Tom um, Berenger. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. Grant, he's on a lot under a lot of like scar makeup. Yeah. So if I saw him outside of it, I'd probably recognize him. But that guy is fucking great in this. Yeah, movie. he was really good. Yeah. I, sorry to praise you know the performances for so long, but they're really fucking good. Yeah, most of them are pretty pretty fucking good. But it's one of those things where it, I I wasn't like blown away by any of them. You though. didn't have a Meryl Streep moment. Yeah, I, there I, wasn't a Cagney in here. Yeah, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, damn, like they're really like carrying this. It was more just like everybody was doing really well. Mm, it wasn't everybody like, showed up to work. That everybody day. really showed up to this movie, and it wasn't like you know a couple of people were like really trying their hardest you know yeah like i'm sure they were but it's like one of those things where it's like i saw everybody kind of being like that 90 percent like 100 percent. nobody here was at like 120 percent. you know no, nobody here was like above and beyond where gotcha. it's like oh my god you know well where's the oscar <laughs> well i mean speaking of oscars so here's here's the story of this film's production reception because it is really interesting because the film was conceived when the writer and director, Oliver Stone, came back from his tour as an infantryman in the United States Army from Vietnam. And he basically wrote this in 1968 when he got home. as That was the first draft. But it took like two decades before he can actually get the film made. And it goes through like a bunch of drafts. In, the, in between, he becomes a pretty famous screenwriter in Hollywood. He's the guy that wrote Scarface, the Brian De Palma film. And... Off of that, and making some deals with Dino De Laurentiis, where he directs a, a film in South America. I believe it's called Salvador. And after he makes that, he gets Platoon made, right? Gets cleared for $6 million. And when it comes out, massive fucking hit. And I mean massive. It had a $6 million budget. It makes $140 million at the box office. It gets nothing but glowing reviews. Nothing but high praise from every critic around saying it's, like, detailed, most accurate, like, citing it as possibly the best depiction of Vietnam on film. Because it's more or less based on his actual experiences. Mm -hmm. And parsing what I can is one of those things, a lot more of it is one-for-one retelling than complete bullshit for, for the screen. And even after that, when it goes to the award season, it wins four fucking Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. The movie was massive that's pretty big that is that is a lot of uh praise for this movie are you just not seeing it well it's not that i'm not seeing it it's just that like you know i'm kind of like trying to gather up like you know what what does this have versus like other vietnam movies you know like i mean we do get a few other vietnam films on the list deer hunter apocalypse now those are much higher on this list this is the first one um but honestly i look at this movie and it it's almost one of those things where so many action movies and war movies we saw growing up really took points on this. And also, like, Tropic Thunder is literally, like, a parody of this film in yes, some aspects. Yes. But I think I think what I'm, I'm kind of, like, gathering up now is that um, Platoon out of, like, the, the um, Vietnam movies is the most realistic. Yeah. It's, it's the one that, like, kind of shows it as is with the least bullshit. 
Because yeah. I mean, you know, a Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now. Well, I, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, because I, I haven't even seen these movies. But I'm assuming that they're a little more more played up for the screen, like like the whole like Russian roulette Deer Hunter scene. I know that scene. Yes. Like, uh, okay, so Deer Hunter was billed as a very realistic um, Vietnam movie by a Vietnam vet. Find out the director never served in Vietnam. Basically, most of the movies kind of bullshit. It's a really good movie. I've yeah. seen it. But it's really hinged on the fact that you have Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, and Christopher Walken shown the fuck up for work that day. Okay. And then Apocalypse Now, it's a Vietnam movie, but it's kind of an art film that's a retelling of Hearts of Darkness. It's a movie that is very abstractly talking about the war of Vietnam. It's more using its themes to talk about the... Yeah, it's more using its themes. This is a far more just realistic portrayal of... Being in Vietnam, being in the jungle, just, this is what war is like for people who are in this situation. Alright, now I'm trying, I'm starting to, like, get there, you know, where I'm more understanding the movie. Where it's mostly just about, like, the the people in it. How do you come to terms with what you're doing, and how do you, like, kind of have these this, like, dichotomy of the war, where it's, like, you know, the, the completely, like, savage... You know, where it's just, you shoot to kill and they are the enemy and that's it. You know, the, that's done, period. You don't think about it. And then that's, like, the Sergeant Barnes. And then the other side would be, like, Sergeant Elias. Where it's, like, you know, you can kind of respect yourself and the enemy in the war, you know. It's like one of the things where it's more like that classical, you know, like, knights fighting the, each the, other. The classical time. military ideal. Yes, the, tri- the classical military ideal where, you know, you would meet the enemy on a field at a designated time, you know. And, and you would just shoot it out. And you would just shoot it out, you know. That, that kind of, like, old classical war type, like, ideal of, like, you know, we respect each other. You know, we are not... We are not simply savages here, you know? We are, we are men. We, we are, are men. I mean, I like that idea because this movie really does deal with dichotomy. Two sides of basically the same coin. Yeah, Barnes and Elias are two sides of, of war. Elias is, yeah, I am uh, I am here. I am fighting an, an enemy and we will respect each other in the battlefield. We will meet and we will figure this out. And that's like almost an old ideology of what war was. And then Vietnam was so, so different. So far beyond that. And Barnes is like, I am not here to fight and fight an enemy. I'm here to fucking survive. And any means necessary. Any suspicion is met with swift and hard consequences. Another thing too is um, you can kind of see that in like the politics, right? But yeah. In like the, the camp politics, as they call it. Where... Barnes is kind of because he doesn't really care about anything. He doesn't really have like the like a moral compass, you would say. Yeah. So he's very easily able to like kind of like take control of like the a hierarchy of like like the military command there in their platoon, mm-hmm. right? You know, the the lieutenant basically just even though he outranks Sergeant Barnes, he basically just takes whatever Sergeant Barnes does and does it. Yeah. It's, it's basically like as if Sergeant Barnes is the, like, lieutenant's, like, superior, even though it's not. You know, because Sergeant Barnes just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And Elias is kind of, like, ostracized by them because Elias kind of still has that, like, moral compass where he won't just do something because you tell him to. He'll only do it because it's right. Mm. You know, he's not gonna just, you know... Sh- He's he's not gonna just do whatever because it pleases the the hierarchy of the of the platoon, you know. He's gonna do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and it's why he's kind of like ostracized by Barnes and the rest of the hierarchy of or the military hierarchy here 
is because Barnes is willing to do whatever. He doesn't yeah. care. It's really just an interesting, interesting play. And then you have Charlie Sheen's character, Taylor, just stuck in the middle. And yeah, he's green. You know, he doesn't really get to say about anything. No, you know? he, he's literally the shit duty. He is the FNG, as it were. Yeah. And having him being shown how these two guys run the platoon and he he is definitely on elias's side at the beginning and then once they're in the shit he's well, back it's with kind barnes of established at the beginning that he sees barnes as kind of like this bigger than life figure yeah he sees barnes as like this war hero but then as he's stops being so brand new and like you know starts kind of going f- uh, farther along in the war he sees the flaws in barnes and turns to elias yeah you see Barnes and it's like well this is the guy he's been shot seven times he's got all the battle scars and this guy has been through the hardest shit and he's still here and then Taylor kind of sees this is how you you get to be like Barnes you don't get shot this many times you don't have those kind of scars without having to do the hardest most vile shit to survive and then you see Elias on the other side who I I want to talk about Elias's death scene because I think that really encapsulates a very interesting moment is because at that point in the movie, Elias and Barnes are at, are at opposite ends. Elias is going to try and get Barnes up as court martial because he shot a bunch of civilians. And when he's running through the jungle and the two meet and for a second, you know, Barnes holds the gun at him and then kind of lowers it. And Elias smiles. And then Elias, Elias is realizes, like, ah, oh, finally, you know, somebody out like, uh, you know, we're, I'm safe. I can, you know, get back to camp. And then he realizes what Barnes is out here to do. And, that moment, I just think... That's not his death scene. Well, his death scene is when he throws the arms up in the air, it's, drops his knees, it's, it's so good. But in that moment, I look at it and I'm like, even in that moment, Elias still thought Barnes had some honor. He still thought Barnes wouldn't it's, shoot his own men. So, the whole Barnes and Elias things, right, we can look at it like this, where Elias can't like assumes that him, like the people he fights with and the people he's fighting against like have that like reasonable mentality right where they're logical actors yes so when he meets barnes in the jungle and he believes that barnes is a logical actor he's not going to shoot his own man yeah even though he's going to be probably court-martialed by that same guy he's not going to shoot him because that would just be wrong Why, why would you shoot your own fellow sergeant but barnes is not a logical actor and i think barnes also assumes no nobody one is, is a logical, logical actor, actor. And I I love that. I fucking dig on that shit in this movie, dude. It's fucking palatable. This, I love that dichotomy in film. Well, also this is not just a dichotomy in film. We're talking about war here. Like this is something that easily comes up in all of the like political discussions about wars. How do you how do you assume what your opponent's going to do? You know, are you going to assume they're going to be a logical actor? Maybe as a whole, but individually, you cannot you can't trust them. In humans are messy and weird and crazy. And we're doing, and like war in itself is a, is like an illogical thing, but it's, it's done as a logical action of power and it's, this, I, mean, I and, love this movie. This movie's and, great. And the Vietnam War is like a very complicated war, you know, it starts off as like a, uh, uh, like almost like a war of independence for Vietnam against the French and then like it's backed by China and then Vietnam kind of splinters into North Vietnam and South Vietnam. North Vietnam being, like, really heavily backed by China. And then South Vietnam 
would have been backed by the French, but they're kind of hands off at this time, being like, you know, we'll support you, but like, no not, troops on the ground. Well, there some, but like not many at all. Mm. You know, they're they're like, well, we're supposed to be leaving. Like the fuck, like we're not gonna stick around. And then you know, America seeing like we're gonna have a communist takeover of like a country, and you know, and we have that whole domino effect mentality. And so we're like, we ha- we have to go in and defend South Vietnam from North Vietnam because we don't want this country to become fully communist because we think, you know, South or Vietnam goes down, then there goes Cambodia, there goes Laos, and there goes, you know, New Guinea, and there goes the, the Philippines. The effect theory you know, of, of Who knows, you know, they're, they're like, what, what if, like, uh... Yeah. Burma and then Bangladesh and then India will become communist, you know? R- Randy spent a lot of time on the Vietnam history for this. Not really, but, like, you know, it's, it's like, this is common stuff. Everybody knows that the United States were, were very, uh, like, in with the, the domino effect. You know, one country's gonna turn communist and then the next after that because, like, the sphere of influence of communist China is gonna grow. But it was one of those things where they, they went in to fight, you know, this battle, which was basically just to... It wasn't to, like, conquer North Vietnam. It was just to, to protect South Vietnam from being overrun by the more powerful North Vietnam. And they just really didn't know when to stop. And so they didn't have a clear goal. You know, they wanted to reach some kind of ceasefire, which they did. And then the ceasefire was ended Yeah, very quickly afterwards by it, North Vietnam. It's one of those things where it became a war of attrition incredibly fast. Incredibly fast. And a war of attrition, your outside power and they're an inside power, that's not going to go well for you. Especially in the, the environment that Vietnam is. Yeah. And it just kind of shows like this whole... Like, the, the new guys that show up in the movie, right? They, they don't know what's going on. Like, why they're doing anything. No. They hardly even know how to, like, do anything. It's like a Charlie Sheen char- character says, like, nobody explains anything to you. Like, they tell you to take watch from these hours, right? And they hand you a scope and a clicker. And you, you don't know what any of these things do. And they go, yeah, click the thing three times. You know, look at the scope. If anybody shows up, you know, wake us up. But that's about it. You know, you'd... I'm I'm sure Charlie Sheen's character could like um oh in in that fight right in the very first fight that Charlie Sheen's in he f- forgets to flip the safety on the claymores yeah and he just forgot all about it because it was the first time he ever done it nobody explained it before then you know he only explained it once yeah and and also even in that fight he wasn't even supposed to be the one on the claymores he gave the watch over he gave but the thing is though is that he gave the watch over to. Junior? Junior. To, he gave the watch over to Junior, but he didn't give the Claymore clicker over to Junior. You remember mm, that? Oh, yeah. He only gave the scope over to Junior. And Junior falls asleep. Like, and right Junior away. falls asleep in like 20 seconds. Like, yeah. he's he's freaking out. I really, I really like this movie. And I'll, I think it also comes with the fact that I'm also just fascinated by, like, the Vietnam War. Um, I guess, do we want to get personal enough about this? I mean, it's, a, it's your podcast. All right, cool. So, one of our relatives, our uncle, he was a uh, combat medic in Vietnam. He was a Navy medic that was attached to a Marine unit in Vietnam. Yeah. Don't know much much more than that because, you know, he doesn't talk about Vietnam. Obviously. Yes. Uh, I, I am a grown-ass man. I have known that he was in the Vietnam since I was a small child. I do not have the guts to ask him anything at all about his experience. I've heard one secondhand story from my grandmother about it. Uh, he was on the edge of a, of an outpost, I think. I think he was at, like, base camp, right? And he was on the edge of it. I, I think he was just walking around, and he sees out of the, out of the jungle line, this giant black dude sprinting just across the field. And 
our uncle is just standing there. He's like, what the fuck? And then this guy, I I don't actually know if he tackled him or if he just like jumped on top of him, but he threw him to the ground and then a bunch of bombs, mortars, and everything goes off. And the only reason we know that's what happened is he explained how he got the scars on his back to my grandmother. And I, I just, how, this war, and I'm watching this movie, and knowing that this is more or less just Oliver Stone's therapy, just going through Vietnam, mm-hmm. right? And hearing a story, even secondhand about that, it's just... How, it's incredible that that's, this, is, this is real, how like, do you, people how went do through you, this. Yes, and then it's like, how do you come to terms with that? I mean, I, there was another time when we were at Disneyland, God, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, we were like really little, Uncle our uncle's there. And they're, like, lowering the flag. It's about the rain. And they ask everybody, okay, are all the veterans, please stand up as we lower the flag. And he's like, all right. And, you know, goes over. He's standing next to, like, this 70-something-year-old World War II vet. And then across the way, he catches eyes with a guy that's about his age. And after it's done, they go and they talk to each other or whatever. And I'm, we're standing off to the side. And I see the guy my uncle's talking to just break down into tears. Our uncle taps him on the back. And then they shake hands. And that was that was it. They walked away. What? What, what were the words crossed over? What was it just a thing they looked in each other's eyes and they just fucking knew? I. It's one of those things where you'll never be able to understand unless you were there. It's one of those like incredible things about people. It's just, it's just you. You will never understand unless you're there. And I think that's why I, I really just. It's I fascinating really because you want to know. Yeah, you you want to know even though you don't want to know. It's the same thing yeah. where it's like. Hey, my friend went into jail, and they ask, "Oh, what happened?" And he's like, "You don't want to know, because you never want to know, because the the answer is either going to be disappointing or it's going to be something you'll never be able to forget." And watching this movie, it's Oliver Stone's basically his fucking therapy. He he starts the first draft as soon as he comes home after serving as a as a combat infantryman in Vietnam. He saw combat. I think he came home with with a purple heart, and I'm like, I. How much of this is bullshit? How much of this is is just straight facts? Is this literally the closest we'll get to a true enough interpretation of the events without it being a documentary? Is that is that Quite it? Quite possibly. I mean, the only things that'll lean towards being like played up for Hollywood is like Sergeant Berg or Barnes, Sergeant Barnes. Yeah. Basically, like Sergeant Barnes' character, not so much like how he acts. But, like, him, like, shooting Elias out by himself. Yeah. And, like... The stuff that you can tell is played up for for just cinematic drama. Yeah. Or, like, Elias running out after being shot into the field and throwing up his arms as he's been being shot down by the Viet Cong. Oh. That... Also, one of the most iconic images in in cinema, or at least in war films. I mean, it's on the front of the box. (laughs) It is on the front of the fucking box. It's also the thing that's been parodied and memed in every vietnam thing since yeah where what is it we i played fucking black ops like (laughs) 10 years ago and and frank underwood did the same damn thing (laughs) i swear to god but i mean that uh, it's a it's a powerful scene where you know elias you know somehow survives being shot by barnes and he's running out in front of the like the surge of the Viet Cong, you know, they're they're basically surging towards the uh, Americans' position, but the Americans have already gotten a chopper and left, right? Yeah, but they're surging to take take all this land, you know, for themselves, right? And Elias is kind of at the front of them, running away from them, and he somehow survived the shots by Sergeant Barnes. And I don't know if Charlie Sheen's character like recognizes him or just sees a soldier down there alone. I want to say because he, he says it's Elias. 
No, he doesn't. Are you sure? He doesn't. It Like, the way he looks at Sergeant Barnes afterwards makes it think that he wasn't sure who it was, but he had a hunch type of thing. I, I just look at that sequence, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, just... Please make it, Willem Dafoe. Please make it, Elias. I know, right? I'm just like, you know, land the helicopter, you know, save just, just come him. on. But um, they, they can't land the helicopter. There's hundreds of Viet Cong there, you know? They exactly. gotta get out. And Elias is just another casualty. And that's the and that's the thing, you know? That, that's the story thing will that never happen- be told. That's another thing about all these war movies, and this movie in particular, and I guess that's one of those things where it's very true to life, is, you know, there's these people, you get attached to them, and suddenly they're just dead they're gone yeah just another casualty i mean it's 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 like the the scene with the villagers right Mm -hmm. and he like they they kill like four or five of these people yeah and you know it's one of those things where sergeant barnes doesn't fucking care yeah you know but like alliance and um chris taylor like they care you know they're like these are people you know but barnes is like these aren't people they're vietnamese they're the enemy they're the enemy just you know, burn the village, we'll blow up their shit, and then we're, we're done. Yeah, and they, like, uh, they eventually, like, they escort all of, like, the, the villagers, like, out of the village after they burn it down and whatnot. And it's like, I don't know what the fuck they do with them after that. Like, they, they have, like, a, evacuated, like, a whole village, and they burned all their, like, uh, like, everything that these people have ever known. Yeah, do they just go to, like, a prison? Do they just go to a camp? Do they, they can't get... all be POWs. Yeah. Like, like are they just, you know, suddenly, ah, oh, you're relocated to South Vietnam, fucked, you know, like... But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe uh, Charlie Sheen's character will lose sleep about that. Maybe Elias's character will lose sleep about that. But Barnes isn't going to fuck. Barnes oh. is going to drink a fifth of whiskey and go sleep, like, every other night. Yeah. After he just shot some old lady, you know, just in front of everybody. Yeah, did not give a fuck. And it's one of those things where it's, you know, you have to think about the mentality of these, uh, of, like, the people, like, you know. Because it's like, it's not like Barnes has been there since, has been, maybe Barnes has been like that since day one. Maybe he hasn't. Maybe, you know, like, Vietnam did this to him, you know, and this is like him kind of lashing back at, at like, the war, you know. Like, the war has done this to him, you know, but he's going to do this to back to them. I mean, just but, looking at, looking at the two characters of Barnes and Elias, because that's, that's what this movie's about, right? It's yes. these two warring philosophies and ideologies and, and of war. It's like, Barnes wears the war on his face. Like, literally, he's covered in scars, cuddling, covered in battle wounds. And Elias seems to have, like, internalized it a lot more. I think they're both equally fucked by this situation. I, I mean, just Elias think, has been there for three years, supposedly. At, yeah, at least, because he made a mention that he knew what he was fighting for in 65, but he has no idea what he's fighting for now. Mm-hmm. And then you have Barnes, and I'm like, I have no idea. If roughly the same time, if I'd have to take a shot. Maybe, maybe a little longer, but it's like, what exactly happened to Barnes? I mean, they never explain where he got the scars, other than he was, their war wounds, but that looks like something that, like, all that shrapnel stuff or whatever, that looks like something that somebody did to him? I don't know. It's just, I just love the visuals of this movie and how... He, nah, the, he fell on a bramble patch when he was a kid. Dude, could you imagine that's what it is? <laughs> They're just like, like oh. that happens though. Like yeah. you know, when people like a, like see like somebody has like some scars or like you know they'll be missing an eye and be like, whoa, dude, were you in some shit? And it's like, nah, dog. Like I got hit in the eye by a baseball when I was a kid, and that, that was it. You know? Yeah, yeah. What is it? Um, one of our buddies' aunts or uncles, I think, is like missing two fingers on one hand, and they're just like, mm-hmm. oh, did you? What happened, man? He's like, ah, I held a firecracker too long. Yep. Yep, that that shit fucking happens. Yeah, these things happen, but it's it, you know it's 
it's there for you to assume it happened in Vietnam, right? That, like, Barnes yeah. has seen the shit. Exactly. Know? He's been in the shit. And also, like, the imagery of the movie, when you see it's, like, how Barnes's, how Barnes's squad and how Elias's squads, they're in two di- different worlds. Elias is, like, you know, they're smoking weed, they're drinking, they're, like, dancing, playing Motown, and Barnes's is, like, they're gambling, they're, they're like, drinking. But it's, like, Barnes's squad is all above ground. And all of Elias's stuff is all all like underground. Yeah, they're in like an, a little underground bunker where they they smoke smoke pot and listen to White Rabbit. Yeah, and it's I just like how there's just this so much separation between these two, and it's all and it's all there visually, philosophically. It could be it's, a commentary so on how the um, political, like um, military military political hierarchy. Is like supposed to be disconnected from the war, right? Yeah, they're supposed to be disconnected from the people that actually fight it. You know, Barnes is disconnected from his own platoon in like that mental way. You know, he doesn't see what they see, and it could be a commentary on that. You know, like the the hierarchy of the this platoon is sees themselves as above their own platoon. You know, while yeah. like the people that are like Elias sees himself as one within the platoon. You know, he is part of them. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of the military hierarchy, we have the lieutenant, Lieutenant Wolf. Yeah. And he is negative effectual, right? He is no. not effective at all. And I watch that character, and that's obviously a commentary about exactly what you said, you know, political, like military hierarchy, right? He's this guy, he's supposed to be at the top of the food chain for, in the film we're seeing, right? But he can't lead these people. He doesn't know what's really going on. He just defers everything to Barnes. Defers everything to, to you know, the, the sergeant. The guy that's actually been in there. Yeah, he barely gives any orders to, like, overrule anything Barnes says. Like, barely in the movie. Like, I think once or twice. Yeah. And then you have the guy that's leading the platoon, right? But he's always at base camp, right? He's, yes. He's on the phone. He's at base camp. That, that's his job. And it's like... There's so many levels of disconnection from what's actually happening in the jungle, in in the war, versus the people who are supposed to be running it. And it's like, I watching this as that as it dilutes so much, back in Washington, in the implication of this movie, they have next to zero idea as to what the fuck to do. Yeah. The people, While you're fighting an enemy who's at home. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things about about war, you know, where it's, you know, like going to somebody's like, like fighting a war in like some country's like hometown and expecting to win. You have to be at like five to one odds, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's like, like, you know, World War is it's like to take the example of like World War Two, right? Mm-hmm. You I mean, the Germans were fighting like basically like three fucking fronts, you know? Yeah, that's that's basically why it was. I mean, that's that's how you're able. Easy, but that's why every it was, it was so it was, easy. It was successful, you yeah. know, because you you could like fighting them on three fronts, you know, because we fought them in North Africa, in um, West and Eastern Europe. You know, that's how you're able to roll into Berlin. You know, yeah. But you know, we're just fighting on one front from South Vietnam going north. You're gonna get messed up. You know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, and it's. And it's one of those things where it's like the people back in Washington were just like, just make it happen. Just, just make it happen. You know, just, uh, just smooth it over in the second update and we'll figure it out later. And it's, it's just like, these things just don't Washington happen. Washington had the Bethesda idea of, we'll <laughs> fix it in an update. Just, just play the game and we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. Just, just get the troops there and we'll figure it out. Yeah, and... So, 
that's our, our discussion about the Vietnam War, but also this well, movie. well here, like another thing though is like the disconnect between like the, the soldiers there and then the um people back home, right? Like the, yeah. the citizens back home, that disconnect as well. Oh yeah. Where it's just like, you know, some of these people were drafted, some volunteered, and then they come home after having this horrific experience and the United States citizenry, half of them don't even see them as people. Yeah. You know? They just see them as warmongers, you know? It's it's one of those things where even in the movie, when they find out that Taylor, he enlisted, he wasn't drafted. And everybody's like, why the fuck would you why do that? Why the fuck would you do that? And he's talking about all this stuff. He's like, well, my great, my grandfather fought in World War One. my dad That's in World War That's not the explanation II. he gives them. The explanation yeah. he gives them is that, you know, I see... Like, all these, like, you know, poor people, like, poor people go off to fight, you know, and I'm, like, a rich kid. Why why don't I go out to fight as well? Like, you know, everybody should, you know, equally, you know. And, and then you have Keith David, uh, the King character. He keeps making a point where, I mean, kind of hitting home on a lot of political discourse where it's like, rich people always shit on poor people, man. You got to learn this. It's happened in the past. It'll happen in the now and it'll happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And war is just a way to thin out the poor. And I'm like, the well, he doesn't say that. Not not exactly that, but I'm like, Keith David, you're speaking too much truth right now. You calm the fuck down. I mean, like, th- these are just... speaking hard facts, though. These are just, like, the truths of war. It's like, you know, it, you don't have, like, freaking, like, um, Donald Trump Jr. going to war in freaking Afghanistan, you know? Like, nah. the the only, like, uh, example is, like, um, who, it was one of the, the British princes, uh, Prince... Henry? I don't remember which one, but one of them went to, like, war in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. But... It's it's one of these things where it's like it's just not a thing, you know. It's like it barely ever fucking happens. Where it's like you hear of like somebody, some somebody who's already you know born a silver spoon in their mouth and all that good stuff, you know, actually goes off to war. You know, Charlie Sheen's character, you know, does that, and it's one of those things where he does that as kind of like a self righteous, like no noble cause, you know, like oh I will go there and usher out the poor from their woes in fucking vietnam you yeah know? like what the fuck dude but but well i mean i'm sure it wasn't like that like self-righteous you yeah, know but it's, yeah. it's usually one of these things and you know he gets there and he realizes he's just another fucking grunt you know yeah. like they don't give a fuck about him yeah they don't care they don't really care why you're here the only reason they asked him is because they needed something to talk about as they're shoveling literal shit mm-hmm and then once they get there, all anybody of all any of them can really talk about is how many days until you're home. Yeah, King's that's like, a, that's a common theme of the movie. King's like ten days, and then and then I'm out of here. And also, I felt I, I fist pumped a little bit when King got on the helicopter and he's like, "I'm going home." Like you, you deserve to go home Hell without yeah. being maimed. You're you're the fucking man. Also, I just love Keith David. He's great in the thing. Great in They Live. Guys, <laughs> great. But you know, maybe maybe we could go over a couple of like uh, scenes from the movie that we really liked. Yeah, yeah. So what What about you? What's your, I guess, top scene? My top scene is basically, like, the fight at the end. Like, that's the best scene in the movie. Because oh, it just yeah. shows how they're, like, so totally unprepared. Yeah. For for what the, for the enemy's advancement, you know? It, it, it all starts with the um, scene where the lieutenant is telling um, the person who takes over uh, Elias' unit, like, hey, you have to put up foxholes from here to there. You know, and get it done. He goes, well, I only have, like, five men. He's like, well, that's tough shit. You're gonna have to do it anyway. And he's like, they're just gonna walk they're, through. They're, he's gonna be like, for me to cover that, put foxholes that cover that distance, I'm not gonna have, they're gonna have enough space between my men to just walk an entire division through. And he goes like, I don't want to hear it. 
Just fucking do it. Yeah, we are we are <laughs> not prepared. We are understaffed. Just get it the fuck over. And with. this this is another commentary on like the the lieutenant doesn't care. Just get it fucking done. But it, the the now I guess he's a sergeant now. Yeah, he, you know he he's just like well I can't fucking do it. Like no matter how much you tell me to just get it done, it can't be done. Yes, <laughs> but, I simply can't. But the lieutenant, I don't want to hear it. It's one of these things where it's just like, the, these things happen all the time in war, you know? Get it done. I can't get it done. We'll do it anyway. How? You know? Yeah, and, th- and then when the battle finally, like, actually starts, and you just see um, Taylor They're... just turn the fuck on. Yeah, well, basically what happens is the the fight breaks out, you know? They, they And Taylor and his uh, foxhole with, I don't remember the character's name, Francis, I think? I think so, yeah, it's Francis. Um... Like, they see, like, the battle, like, breaking out in the distance. And this is also one of the crazy things about Vietnam is, you remember the, 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 um, the flare on the, uh, balloon, or on the parachute, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was one of the craziest things about Vietnam is, like, uh, trying to get visibility at night. It was basically fucking impossible because the jungle was so dense. Well, they used shit like the flare on the, on the parachute, right? And Mm -hmm. those, that shit is fucking crazy. It's scary. Because it's like everything that the flare sees is just completely whitewashed out, you know? Yeah. And any little, like, protrusion from the tree line is just, like, instantly, like, you can just see it like that. And it's the dead of fucking night. So you only get, like, a couple of, like, ten seconds of that, you know? Or, like, twenty seconds. And just one of these really scary things about Vietnam where something like that happens, you know? And it suddenly goes from being, like, complete, like, nearly pitch black night, you know? Because you're just it's just you and the stars, right? To being, like, bright as fucking day. Yeah. And, and it's... suddenly realizing there's just hundreds of fucking dudes just around you. Well, also because, like, when that happens, you know people are looking for your position, but you also know that you want to look for their position. So it creates this kind of thing where you're both looking for each other, but you don't want to expose yourselves. And it also is, like, great for cinematography purposes. It looks so good. It looks so fucking cool. Oh, my God, dude. It, I was watching it, and I'm like, <laughs> did they put, like, a blue tint on this shit? And they're like, no, that's just the phosphorus. Oh, my God, this looks fucking palatable. Yeah, like, oh. it makes that scene look fucking great. Yeah. With the, the flare. But then, so the flare goes down, right? And then the, the fight breaks out. You know, there's explosions, there's gunfire, but Taylor can't see any of it, you know? He's, yeah. It's like, there's just, like bullets and like tracer rounds and i don't even know why why are there tracer rounds in the movie i don't know what it's cinematography it looks cool it looks fucking cool but so there's like you know all this gunfire happening but i can't see shit right because the the flare's already gone down fucking nothing i can see and then somebody i don't remember who like runs into them runs into their like trench and like tells them like shit's going down get the fuck out of here and then they there, take there's off. a fucking pl- whole platoon behind me get yeah the he's fuck out. like there's a whole division of guys behind me get the fuck out of here and he just books it but taylor's just kind of looks at francis and francis is like should we go and taylor's like i'm gonna stay you can do whatever you want and then i'm like jesus fucking christ and so they're kind of like battling it out for a little bit and then there's, like, they, they hear the Viet Cong speaking, right? They, they, they can hear it. It's that close. Yeah. And then Taylor kind of, like, reasons. And this is, like, a crazy thing. Because he doesn't know what the fuck the guy's saying. Yeah, he, it's made apparent. Only Johnny Depp speaks Vietnamese in this movie. Yes. And so, he, um, Taylor kind of reasons, like, they're about to blow us up. 
you know, he can hear them speaking and not shooting at them. That means that they're going to, like, blow up our foxhole because it's like, it's like a little mini bunker, you know? Yeah. And so he grabs, he, like, tries to leave the foxhole with Francis, but Francis is kind of, like, stunned in fear. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. He's just like, uh, do I get out of here and just get fucking shot? Do I yeah. stay in and just get blown up? Like, and what the fuck's so happening? So Taylor, like, drags Francis out of there. They run away to, like, a little embankment nearby. Their foxhole gets blown up. And then, um, this is where Taylor, um, Charlie Sheen's character kind of sees, like, the Viet Cong, like, advancing almost past them. They're, like, jumping at the foxhole, running past them, like, towards, like, the, the other, um, soldiers' positions. And he kind of realizes this thing where he's, like, accidentally flanked them. And he just kind of, like, sees it in the moment, like, oh, shit, I could do something here. I could, like, make a, make a difference in this fight. And he just does it. And then he just doesn't stop. I, in that moment, he goes with Barnes in Barnes's mentality of the war. He's like, I have a, I have a position. I'm going for it. But if he stayed in there, he, they, he would have been fine. They would have just but, kept but, walking. What, what do you mean? If he just stayed with Francis, they could have held position there and just kept walking. But he just gets up, shoots them down, jumps in the foxhole, keeps shooting, but, jumps but, out, but, just but, charges. I think, I think you're missing it, right? Because Elias does the same thing earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Look, so how could that be Barnes's mentality? Look, he is he is using um, Elias's mentality here because he's fighting smart. Mm. He he's thinking about what the enemy is going to do, right? He's thinking that the enemy is logical actors, right? They blew up the foxhole; they're going to inspect it and move on, right? You know what? I think you're right. I think you're right because I think I keep going. I think I'm just getting mixed up because it's like. Oh, Barnes Be- is like brutality, and 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 um, Elias is not. But I'm like, no, they're, they're both brutal. They're both soldiers, right? They, yeah, they're both there to shoot other people. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, Barnes doesn't think they're people, and Elias does. <laughs> right, I I can see that point to you. I got I got I got myself. Yeah, you. Up. Yeah, but it's like one of those things where you got to like really think about it. You know, really think about what they're doing and like how that relates to like which character, right? It's. One of these things where it's like Barnes probably would have just either left, right? Because he's seen almost as like kind of like a coward sometimes mm. where it's just like, you know, he's just trying to survive, right? Yeah. And he'll, he would have probably either just returned fire or left, you yeah. know, but um, what Taylor does is he like kind of like regroups himself nearby and then he sees like the, the Viet Cong like get um like uh distracted by the the foxhole they just blew up right they're inspecting it for any like casualties or any bodies or whatever because mm. like, it wouldn't be casualties for any hits yeah <laughs> how many hit markers did i get <laughs> yeah exactly you know and taylor sees this opportunity he just he just like turns it you know just goes and he just runs up there and like mows down like six or seven guys yeah in like a 20 round magazine or the fuck is in the m16 you know right jumps in the foxhole francis comes up behind him starts doing cover and they just start just laying they, waste. They turn, yeah. He just and, like, turns on. He turns into Taylor fucking Taylor starts, like, running around and shit, like, sprinting through the forest, shooting people, you know? And it's like, it's the middle of the fucking night. You can't see fucking shit, but it's also, like, one of these things that, like, goes to his benefit. Like, V-Cons can't see shit either, you know? Yeah, and they're not expecting one dude to just appear out of fucking nowhere yeah, and just, just mow him down. Be in the middle of, in the midst of them, and you see also, um... Sergeant Red. No. Dr. Cox. What the fuck is his name? <laughs> Sergeant O'Neill. Sergeant O'Neill, the guy that plays Dr. Cox on Scrub. Scrubs. Um, you see him kind of like, uh, he's in like a foxhole, right? And the enemy's about to like overtake him, you know? Not not so much as like they're gonna like, you know, over, 
They're gonna like you know shoot him out or like bomb his position, but they're gonna like literally like overrun his position. They're just gonna walk over. They're his gonna fucking hop, fox walk hole. over his foxhole and he like grabs a like I guess like the person that was in the foxhole with him or like, or like a Viet Cong or somebody dead, somebody that's dead like right there next to him, like hides under their body, right? And I think this whole sequence, and then it's like you know the it flashes over to the. The, like, commanders, right? You have, like, the, the Lieutenant Wolf, and you also have, like, the legit commander of, the, like, yeah. the whole platoon. And you have them, like, talking on the radio to all the different positions, you know? And how, like, even them, they're, like, completely overrun. They set up this huge perimeter around them, right? And it just gets completely overrun, and you have the, uh, com- like, Lieutenant Wolf, uh, he, he's, like, trying to, like... He's, like, kind of, like, passively, like, kind of being, like, you know, people are telling him what's going on. He's, like, yeah, yeah, go do that, you know, and he's, like, trying to catch people on the on the radio. And the Viet Cong, like, this one Viet Cong, like, makes it through the line and, like, um, takes a grenade and, like, suicide bombs, like, Lieutenant Wolf's position, his, like, little command post. Yeah. And the other commander, like, sees that happen and goes, like, well, shit, I don't want to ha- have that happen to me and calls in, like, an entire firebombing of, like, the, his whole perimeter. Where all the foxholes used to be, fucking bomb them. <laughs> Just, he's like, burn, burn the entire perimeter around us. He basically Get it he goes, with. we're gonna fight. We're we're already fucking dead. Just burn the place down. Yeah, he's like, if you at least if you fire bomb bomb it, it'll at least cut their line enough where maybe we can like find a way out or we can hide or something. Some fucking anything. We're about to fucking die, right? It's like the you know. Um, they ask him for like what what coordinates to like bomb, and he's like my perimeter. <laughs> you know, he's he's like my here. position. You know, on my position. You know, it's one of the things where it's just, it's just crazy. You know, it's just like you know that that's an order. You know, and he tells the guy like that's my decision. You know, you don't get to second guess me. That's my decision. If I say to bomb on my position, you fucking bomb on my position. And then they they do. Yeah. And then this is like the 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 final bit. I I'll, I kind of feel the final bit with like um. Barnes and Taylor's like its own thing, so I'll like kind of exclude that from this. But that like that whole thing of how they're like completely overrun and all the like little things that happen, you know, it's kind of like my favorite part of the movie. It's, it's just so it's the huge. microcosm of this film and the Vietnam War. It's all the themes of the film almost distilled down. Mm-hmm. It is it is a fantastic scene. You know, you can Fucking see kind fantastic. of like. Uh, Taylor kind of like taking up the mantle of Elias because Elias's thing earlier in the movie that like ends up getting him killed is that he wants to flank the enemy right and like stop them from getting reinforced so that they can maybe do something mm. since like you know his uh, t- uh everybody else in his platoon is basically pinned down right and so they're gonna flank the enemy stop them from being able to be reinforced and like kind of like do that right yeah and you know what does Taylor do he flanks the enemy and stops him from being able to reinforce. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what happens later on in the movie. He basically takes up Elias's mantle in, like, more ways than one. You know, this whole, whole like, idea of taking up the, the mantle from Elias, you know. Both, like, on the battlefield and his mentality. But he also gets revenge. He does. Good revenge scene? It was or good. It just... It was good. It was one of those things where it was, like, short and sweet and, uh, well, like, not short and sweet, but short and brutal, just like the Vietnam War. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, Barnes is just, like, rolls over, looks at him, he's like, yeah, just kill me. And he, he's like, he fucking obliges. Mm-hmm. He's just that like, was an order. That was an order. It's <laughs> over. Well, he doesn't like, say that was an order. I should, I should, 
for anybody that hasn't seen the movie, he doesn't say that, you know. He, yeah. he, just, he just looks at him because earlier on in the movie, Taylor does try and kill Sergeant Barnes in like their in uh, like their bunks or their, barracks or whatever. Yeah, and they're like barracks, you know, and like nobody helps him do it. And um Barnes just kind of like his like hit pussy and like leaves. And, you know, Barnes is basically assuming that, you know, that Taylor doesn't have the spine to fucking do it, so he's just do it, you know. At first he tells him to go get him a medic. Then when um, Barnes is just, or um, when Taylor's just standing there, Barnes is just like, "Do it," you know, because Barnes' character—he doesn't think anybody has any fucking spine. Yeah, you know, Lieutenant didn't even have any spine to him, and he outranks him. And then, and then Taylor Scott, he gets guy, you know. Man, there's that whole end section is just so good. It's just so good. Yeah, I think my personal favorite is the. Is the battle sequence right before Elias's death? Mm. Yeah, because that one is is like it's like right after they had the whole conflict where it's just like you know, hey, Elias is gonna put Barnes up for yeah, a court martial, yeah. that stuff, and then they're like they're in the shit, and then the two of them are kind of working together, but then it's like you can see Barnes is almost intentionally just trying to get Elias isolated yes. in that sequence. And the the action going on is so good. It's the first time we really see um, Charlie Sheen's character Taylor like kill somebody, actually like like engage in the brutality of the war. And you see like everybody else, like how they are immediately just surprised. Yeah, they're just like, w- w- how are we ambushed? How are we overrun? Or how are we just like not? completely in control of the situation. They're, yeah. they're screaming. There's gunfire going everywhere. Elias makes a point. It's like, look, they have us in a fucking crossfire. It's fucking over unless we, like, flank them. And he's like, well, if I do that, don't shoot at me. Shoot the shoot somewhere else. Just don't shoot in that fucking direction. And I'm like, there's so much confusion going on. There's so much just uh, And they end up bombing them fucking selves with the artillery, right? Exactly. And it's, it, that's, that whole moment, it's, it's the ending of the film, but it's like the preamble. Mm. And it also, not only the preamble, it leads up to probably like the confrontation between Barnes and Elias and in the jungle, no words are spoken, just the look, lowers the gun, smile, loses the smile, gun comes back up, and it's, that's it. I just, I love that whole sequence. It, that is so good to me just because it. That's like the Oscar clip sequence, you know? It, it Yeah. Yeah, honestly, that's that's probably why because I'm a pretentious fuck. <laughs> but I really like it. I really think it's good, and also the action in this film is very good. Very, very good. Very good, and it's weird. Like, it's a war drama, but war films are action films, kind yes. of, right? Well, just they are. Yeah. So it's, hmm, I really like this movie. It's it's really good, but you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be like creeping into my top three or anything. It's just one of these things where it's like you know. It's one of the reasons why I didn't rate like the French Connection very highly is because it's like it's showing it as is, you know. It's it's real. It's just there. It's gritty. It's it's gritty, you know. And it's one of these things where it's just, like telling these like real stories doesn't give your film the ability to just kind of like reach these like new heights because you are trying to you're. I mean, I don't I don't want to say anything like too bad here, but like you're restraining yourself by trying to tell a real story. It, it's one of those things where. I like it's very admirable. Mm-hmm. I'm very glad that Oliver Stone did this. I wouldn't have him do it any other way. I wouldn't have him compromise his story for you know views or clicks or a better spot on the AFI. 
Like, I would always love him to tell his story as he told it. But it's just one of these things where it's like, you know, the more fictional stories do tend to be. I, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things they where They have it's more like, leeway. It's one of those things where you're watching and you're just like, can I, j- can I get a little bit more of the entertainment factor a little bit? Well, I mean, it's a very entertaining movie, you know, but it's one of these things where it's, it's just real, you know? Like, the, the one guy tries to get out of the movie by claiming he has ten- trench foot. Yeah, and he just sprayed his foot up with fucking uh, mosquito repellent, right? Like, yeah, something like that. Oh, and at the end of when, you know, the, the battle's finally... After the, everything's overrun, it's like the next morning, Junior crawls out of the foxhole and he's like, shit, nobody's around. Okay, and he stabs himself in the leg to get a purple heart to go home. Oh, shit, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I, I wonder why the fuck he stabbed himself in the leg, but... As soon as to he... To give himself a purple heart so he go home. Yeah, and like, that's that's a thing a lot of these guys... I mean, that that's a thing people do in in war, you know, and they're yep. in too deep, they're just like, okay, wait till I'm alone, maybe there's an ambush, just shoot myself in the in the leg or in the foot or something like that, and that's Purple Heart, I go home. Tons of people have shot themselves in the foot in in, um, in wartime, thinking that'll get them home. Yeah, no, you gotta kind of, uh, you gotta lose, like, a, a couple toes to get sent home Well, it's that. just one of those things where it's like, some people don't get sent home for shooting themselves in the foot, you know? It's, it's one of these things where... You know, it all depends on who's there, you know, who do you report to, you know, what, what do the doctors say about it? But, you know, since this was a huge battle, you know, Junior can stab himself in the leg, nobody will be none the wiser. You know, it's one of these things where it's more... His whole platoon is basically fucking, fucking gone. Fucking gone, you know. Yeah. There's like, you know, a dozen people left or something like that out of the whole platoon. Mm-hmm. It's it, It's crazy because even those things where it's a single, it's a single moment, and I'm like... That's another just realistic aspect of this movie that I think just adds on to it. There's so many things that just add on and add on and add on to this movie that I think just make it so good. It's I think it's one of those movies where it, it really clicked for me, but maybe not super clicked for you. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah. But it's just one of these things where it's, you know, maybe it's... Maybe I'm coming down, like, uh, too harsh on this movie, but, like, really, I think it's, it's very good. Like, I'm not gonna rate it in, like, my bottom, you know, five or whatever. Oh, yeah. But it's just, like... You know, I've seen better movies on this list so far. Like that's the way it goes. I mean, I mean yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is the way it goes. I, I will say this is. I would. I wouldn't say this is gonna be my number one when we get to the next whatever. But it. I don't think it's gonna be in my bottom ten. It'll probably be in my top ten somewhere like along those lines. I real. I really dug it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel kind of the same way, but it's just kind of one of those things where. Well, like I'm probably gonna watch Apocalypse Now, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, Apocalypse Now, like way better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I. Uh, but but uh, um, Platoon was very, very good, and I, I loved that Oliver Stone was able to tell his story the way he wanted to, you know, and have it be so successful. Win I mean, best director, best picture. Yeah, it know. basically gave him all the all the good graces he could possibly have, and he went yeah. on to make JFK, Natural Born Killers, all all those, and I mean, you know, I would. I really dig this movie. It was good. It was really, really good. The and acting was good. Action was good. I mean, there's like a lot of like little things we didn't talk about, like when they find the bunker and it's booby trapped. Yeah. And like the, the one guy whole, dies and the other guy goes missing. That whole build up. That whole build up where he's just poking around in that like little bunker thing. It's just like and like Willem Dafoe's character, he like uh, flanks the bunker by like going into it basically. Yeah, he goes into what? What are they called? Like the the tunnels? Yeah. Yeah, and he goes in there, and he's and he accidentally flanks them, and they're like, "Oh, what the fuck is a guy there?" And he starts shooting, and it's 
Really good. Really good sequences in this movie. And I, I guess we both agree for the AFI spot, definitely stays. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to stay on the list. Goes up, down, over and out. I'm thinking it stays about the same place. Honestly, this is the first movie where I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's fine where it is. You're, you're just or I guess like, I, I thought, probably thought that about Toy Story 2. This is one of those movies where you're like, no strong opinions, up or down, but definitely stays. But definitely stays. Yeah, the movie is definitely worth its its weight on this um on this list and it you know it's just a good movie you know really kind of realistic portrayal it's it's like um i feel a lot the same about this movie as i did like uh spike lee joint um Uh, do the right thing do the right thing i feel a lot the same about this movie than i did or as i did do the right thing Mm -hmm. because they're both like even though do the right thing is like completely fictional yeah you know but it's just trying to portray something real, you know, and trying to portray it as realistically as possible without being like a freaking documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, Platoon does take some, you know, license with like the whole interactions between Taylor and um, Barnes. Yeah. But, you know, who's to say that didn't actually happen in Vietnam? You know, crazy shit did happen yeah. all the time. <sighs> but, yeah, so I, I would very much recommend people watch this movie. I don't... Is there anything else you want to talk about for it? Um, nothing crazy off the top of my head. Do you have anything crazy you want to say about it? Anything, anything you've been ruminating on? Because, I mean, I think I could praise this movie for a lot of things. Cinematography is great. The sound design in this is fantastic. Uh, the, the direction and the action sequences is so good. And the dramatic sequences is so good. I think the camera in this movie is incredibly vital. I think Oliver Stone picks his shots perfectly. Well, something it, we haven't great. mentioned yet is like the suspense, right? Right before something's about to break out. Oh my god. You know, it gets real suspenseful. It's the, like the uh, first ambush sequence when it's in the middle of the night and and Charlie Sheen, Sheen starts seeing he's the those only guys one awake. Only one awake, he starts seeing those guys approaching and the sound just comes out and you just hear a heartbeat. And it's just his eyes flashing between his gun and flashing between the claymores. Yeah, the gun, the claymores and the enemy because like he can see them so if he makes any sudden move, they'll be able to see him, right? It's one of those things where it's like, do I move? Are they just going to, like, patrol past us? There's no way they're just going to patrol past us. I have to do something. What am I going to do? And just kind of freezing up the moment. And he's just like, is there anybody else awake? Does anybody else see this? Yeah, he do like, I have looks, any backup? looks at everybody else and they're all asleep. And he's just like, what the fuck am I going to do? So good. Mm-hmm. So good. And also, like, you know, when they, they roll up to the ambush later in the movie, right? Yeah. Where they're, like, completely fucking ambushed out of... They had, like, no idea. It's like you... You know, I'm, <laughs> because I'm, like, a very observant watcher, you know? They're, like, they're like walking through the forest, and I'm like, that, that clearing is a little too good. It's a little too good of a clearing. It's a little too clean. Where's all the brush? Yeah, because everything... Even the set design in this, everything up to that, you're just like... The, the jungle's so fucking thick. Yeah, there's at least brush somewhere, you know? And then they walk into this, I'm like, wait, 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 there's just, like, leaves on the ground. And a couple of trees, but they're really, like, well-spaced apart. Oh, what's happening? This is an ambush. I'm like, they're about to get ambushed. And then they get ambushed, I'm like, fucking, yeah, goddamn right, you got ambushed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Another crazy thing about this movie is, um, speaking of, you know, the brush and all that stuff, it was filmed in the Philippines. Yeah, most Vietnam movies end up getting... But, um, another thing is the entire cast was put through military training. Oh, really? Like, actual, like, the military training you would do if you joined the army, the marines, all that stuff. Except for, I believe, except for Charlie Sheen? Or Mm. he was, or he was done separate from the rest of the cast. So when he came in, he 
would feel alienated. He would know what to do, but he didn't know how everybody else learned to do yeah, it. Yeah, because everybody else is kind of established as being there before him, you know? So he's the new guy in the group, and he feels probably kind of ostracized because everybody else there like has already this kind of camaraderie between them from their shared experience. Yeah, but they, they did, like, like the real, real shit. No, like, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe the um, coordinator for that was an actual, like, Marine sergeant who served in Vietnam, and he had the guys do, like, real like 24 hour shifts all that stuff or like watches and he would try and like ambush them and he would you know they're they're, they're a bunch of these trained actors in the middle of the fucking philippines jungle are like okay whatever and then this like fucking green beret would appear out of nowhere and fucking slap one of them <laughs> in the middle of the night and he's like what the fuck was that he's like that right there you'd be dead and then he just disappears into the bush like <laughs> but like that kind of like super intense military training and all that stuff for for a role is something that is, like, admirable, and obviously Oliver Stone wanted it, because that's, you know, get this movie as close to realistic as humanly possible. But I keep thinking about Tropic Thunder, and I'm like, they're making fun of it in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Tropic Thunder is one of those movies I we talk about, like, outside of this podcast a lot, as being, like, this this kind of underrated and, like, you know, like, a movie that wouldn't be, like, as viable now. Yeah, and it's also a movie where it's just, probably the most poignant middle finger to Hollywood culture and mm-hmm. film yeah. and filmmaking as possible. And I feel it takes, it takes aim at this movie kind of because a lot of it, I guess it's just because it's a Vietnam movie and it's taking a lot well, of iconography of platoon. Well, all, I mean, it did not just this movie. It also apocalypse. Now apocalypse. Now, uh, probably saving Private Ryan somewhere splashed in there. Yeah. All these big bloated war movie kind of things, but this isn't really that bloated. This is a $6 million budget. And I feel like you're seeing the entire budget on screen. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, like those, there's no way those, like, those battle scenes, and no no way all those foxholes, but the entire, they basically look like they build an entire military base in the middle of the fucking jungle. Mm-hmm. Every dime's on screen. <sighs> but yeah, so. Yeah, I yeah. thought the suspense was pretty good. Yeah. Suspense was great. Be. And yeah, the action was great, and the movie's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I give it a thumbs up. This is a movie I can recommend people to watch, actually. Yeah, usually we don't get get a lot of those very often. <laughs> usually the, the, the movies are kind of, you know, a little, a little too different to, like, uh... Really recommend, To recommend right? people. But, this, I mean, you could watch this movie just like a war movie, you know? and just, It's good. Yeah. Just it's, watch it. It, it just works. It's kind of sad that that's, like, kind of, like, the... Like, war movies is just, like, a movie you can just watch. Even though these are, like, movies about, like real wars where like horrible things happen yeah but you can just like kind of like just sit down and watch a war movie like nothing happened yeah like the like the vietnam war is just a fictional war you know dude and it's like and that's like so crazy because i'm like there are still nom vets very much alive very probably much. in your life like somebody you have met in your life is probably a vietnam vet mm-hmm if you're an American, you've probably met at least one Vietnam vet in your life. At least. At least. I, I'm, I'm Even if pretty you're decent like, odds you're related to one somewhere. Yes. And it's just one of these things where the further we get away from the war, that when it actually happened, the more it'll become, like, fictionalized, you know? Yeah, it's the thing with a lot of, like, movies now that do that with World War One because World War One is now ab- over, 100 years. over 100 years old, and it's like... There's a lot of poetic license and very abstractions to tell stories in that. I saw 1917, which an amazing movie, a fantastic movie. But watching it, you can very much tell it was like, okay, it's disconnecting a little bit from 
the, the actuality, the actuality, the grittiness. I mean, it still shows like, oh, this is some like fucking horrible shit, but it's not like something like um, like Paths of Glory, where there's a whole like thirty minute sequence of them just trying to break a wire in no man's land, and it's just this massive battle and hundreds of people just fucking die. And in this, it's like okay, there's a little bit of a battle, but it that's a whole different thing. 1917 is a fantastic movie for very different reasons than why Platoon is a fantastic movie. Yeah, but it's just, you know, I mean, like something like uh, 18, like uh, The War of 1812. Like, oh, yeah. Like, that is any, just so any, far gone. Any Civil War movie. Yeah, any, any, yeah. any Revolutionary War movie. Like, any of those. But it's like something like Vietnam, that's still very real to us. So, the movies take less dramatic license than they could if, the movie, if you know, Vietnam, instead of being... You know, how, however old it is, is now, like, 50 years old, mm, if it was more... Probably, yeah, no, it's, 50s, it's like, right? yeah, like, mid-50s. But, uh, if, if the movie, or, like, not the movie, if the war was, you know, hundreds of years old, well, then nobody would freaking care if you did whatever you did with it. You know, it's gonna be crazy. But here's the thing, because Platoon was made, mm-hmm. and Platoon is this more realistic portrayal of Vietnam, and we have film... Yeah. That might never happen with Vietnam. Yeah. You know what's going to be weird? When we're, like, in our mid-50s and we start seeing, like, the Rambo 2 versions of the Afghanistan War. Oh, God. That's... I don't know if I'm ready for that. Or, like, the Gulf War. Oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot there was a Gulf War. Well, yeah, that's why there's still a Kuwait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, I don't make to mean to make light of these things, but that's these things are just true. Huh. But, yeah, so... Platoon, fantastic movie. But next week, we're oh, going to do something... Actually, can I mention something? Oh, you have something? Yeah, because I, I was a stupid kid once upon a time. Didn't know nothing about nothing. I always thought... Uh, when I was, uh, like, a kid, like, I don't know, like, let's say, like, sub-13, I thought the Gulf War was, like, the Mexican Gulf. You 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 thought... Like, like the the Gulf, like, Texas. The Gulf of Mexico. Like, the Gulf of Mexico, because that's the only Gulf I knew of. No meme. Uh... Yeah, mm. I learned later. <laughs> yeah, you much later, right? I learned much later, being like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> wait, there's another Gulf. There's there's actually quite a few of them. <laughs> Ooh, who knew? Yeah, there's also a Gulf of Tonkin. Oh hey, related to Vietnam. Uh but something not related to Vietnam is next week's movie, which is a much lighter film. It's a comedy. It's from 1935. It's a Marx Brothers flick. It's oh. a Night at the Museum. Or, sorry, Night, Night of the Opera. No, not Night of the Museum. Sorry, I thought of Tropic Thunder. Ben Stiller. Yeah. Ah, so we're going to be watching A Night at the Opera, a Marx Brothers film. I've seen it before. So happy to be watching this movie. Really? I really hope it's a good 1930s comedy so I can get it off get it off my mind that they're all going to be shit. <laughs> you just had a really negative reaction to, like, swing time and big and um, the first half of Bringing a Baby. Yes. But yeah, I've seen The Night at the Opera before. It's a fun movie. It's one of these things where it's like, you know, most of the movies we've seen on this list have been good from end to end. You know, the only one that was like, kind of ruined was like Sixth Sense, but that's our own prejudices about like, you know, knowing the twist and then thinking we know everything. Mm. Which we don't. (laughs) We didn't. (laughs) We didn't. Still still snap Randy's soul in half. Snap my soul in half like Steven Seagal. Um, (laughs) But, you know, where, where, you know... Uh, swing time and bringing up baby like swing time like everything in between dance moves was fuck terrible <laughs> and um bringing up baby like the first 15 minutes of that movie was awful 
And then it became really good when the cat it showed became, up. It became pretty good. Yeah. You know, it kind of ramped, that movie kind of ramped up and got better and better and better towards the end. Yeah. Where it was kind of like, you could see, like, they finally got in the groove of everything. Yeah, I would be very surprised to hear, like, that movie was filmed out of order. Uh, I don't, actually, I don't believe it was filmed out of order, to be honest. No, but, like, I would be, like, uh, like awestruck. It would blow your it mind. It would blow my mind if they were like, oh, no, they filmed, actually, all the scenes backwards. Right, he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> you know? well, well, yeah, by the by the end of production and the starting of shooting, they were just done with each other, right? Yeah, oh, my God, that makes so much more sense. But, yeah, so... But, you know, Night at the Opera, I'm so looking forward to it. Marx Brothers, it should be really good. Have you ever seen any Marx Brothers bits? No, I haven't, and I hope... Oh, I've seen some of the bits, but I really, really, really hope it's good. I will hope, too. I've seen it before. I had a kind of a lukewarm response to it last time. Son of a... But here's the thing, here's the thing, I think I had a lukewarm response to it last time because I tried to watch it as a, a narrative story being, like, unfolding, and I'm like, nah, this ain't that kind of movie, it's basically these, like, three of the best comedians of their time just riffing for 96 unbroken minutes. Basically, it's just like, they're just dropping fucking killers every five minutes. That's what this movie is. And you were expecting a serious drama. I was expecting a drama. I, <laughs> I've never seen Mark's movie before. You fucking stupid. But, uh, yeah, so you can look forward to that next week. Uh, if you wanted to catch that, you can go to any place you can find podcasts. You can find us on our Anchor.fm. You can find us on our Spotify. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, In The Frame. That's right, In The Frame on YouTube, where you can find this podcast, The Film Odyssey, as well as the other podcast on there, The Film Club Podcast. Uh, any last words, Randy? Do it. <laughs> Get wrecked, nerd. <laughs> Alright, everybody. Yeah, have a good week. Have a good time. <laughs>